It is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a Wisconsin paper mill, a crag in Batesville, and how rock climbing practices helped preserve some Ozark recreation. You know, they're like, hey, you've got the road coming back in here. You know, the gate and stuff is still ours. The land around us is still ours. But y'all, for all your climbing and whatever you want at the campsite area, y'all can have this land for X amount of dollars. Plus, despite low polling numbers, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson stays in the race for the GOP presidential nomination. You've got to put it in perspective. These early states, they're late deciders. And so, so you might be in point A in the polls now. But it's going to shift. It's going to move. And a preview of Thursday Night Songwriters in the Round at Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville. Before that, this hour's news. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us on this Tuesday. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Later on today's show, Randy Wilburn from the podcast I Am Northwest Arkansas talks with the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College. He'll discuss the value of education and what it's like to be the first in your family to attend college. That's in our second half hour. First today, Jamestown Crag is the only sport climbing crag in northeast Arkansas, just about 20 minutes outside of Batesville. It has more than 100 climbing routes bolted and ready to climb. But at one point, it almost disappeared. Mozart's at Large's Jack Travis brings us the story. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just got the bolts. It might be no surprise to learn that rock climbers are pretty comfortable with a lack of footing. Rock walls often spare only a few centimeters for athletes to place their toes, if that. But climbers are used to such dirt. They can handle it. By utilizing clear and effective communication, athletes can work together to conquer any problem a cliff might throw at them. What climbers can't work around is losing their precious climbing spots or crags to private landowners or government entities. Clip that thing, Johnny. Outdoor rock climbing in Arkansas has historically occurred on a mix of private and public land. Many of the state's climbing hotspots, like Sam's Throne and Lincoln Lake, could have gone away forever if those in control decided to kick recreationalists out. Many climbers have taken it upon themselves to use the same communication skills they developed while climbing to instate protections for their beloved crags. Recently, the Arkansas Climbers Coalition and the Access Fund updated official state rules and regulations to protect climbing on public land and wrote conservation and recreation easements to solidify the sports place in some private spaces. A conservation easement is a voluntary legal agreement that permanently limits the uses of land in order to protect its conservation values. They often include permitting recreational activities like biking and climbing. However, every crag in the state doesn't follow the same story. 
Jamestown Crag, north of Batesville, is such an example of a place created through compromise and a shared love of the outdoors. Jamestown was always a place that, you know, as as young adults, we were, I guess, trespassing, uh, truth be told. That's Landon Downing. He's one of the nomads. Really just a group of a group of friends, uh, outdoor enthusiasts that kind of have a common, you know, a common passion for um, adventure, uh, outdoor recreation really as a whole. Um, but also like, you know, stewardship programming and, you know, conservation initiatives. The nomads include Downing, along with the Christopher brothers, Nathan, Aaron, and Kyle. Downing says they've worked as a team to be the guardians of the crag for nearly a decade. But the Jamestown story begins long before that. Downing says renegade climbers named the area after nearby Jamestown Mountain nearly 50 years ago. There was a guy out there as early as like the 70s, I guess, guy named Mark Mobley. Um, and I'm sure there were some others. Um, but Mark Mobley had been out there really kind of spearheading the renegade operation for years. Um uh, bolting and, and just, you know, had a, had a bunch of sport routes already bolted. Uh, so he was kind of integral once the purchase happened. The purchase he's referring to happened in 2013. Green Bay Packaging owned the land that was and is the area of Jamestown Crag. That's a pulp and paper company based out of Wisconsin. They own swaths of land across the country for growing trees to then cut down and use to make paper. And they've planted loblolly pines throughout the state for decades. And in Independence County area, they have several thousand acres. And when they came in the area in about 2011, 12, to do a clear cut of some fields that they haven't tended to, you know, in decades, they're like, holy crap, there's a huge liability here with, with climbing going on. Um, Some of their workers, you know, probably phoned back and said, you know, hey, boss, you know, there's people out here climbing. Uh, And so their kind of status quo was to work with game and fish on some of the lands that they may, you know, be maybe letting sit for for a long time um, and work with them to have like some kind of control, like in a WMA sense, like a wildlife management area, right? And so Game and Fish, if you'll look on like, you know, maps of the property, like Game and Fish owns a lot of area around Jamestown Crag, but Green Bay packaging owns, you know, the vast majority. Anyhow, they kind of linked up and told Game and Fish, you know, to really patrol the area, uh, to keep the gate locked, not let anybody else in there. Climbing on private land without permission creates multiple problems. For one, if a climber falls and hurts themselves, the landowner could be held responsible. More importantly, being on land that is not yours without permission is illegal. Climbers could face criminal penalties for trespassing, including fines and even jail time. But the nomads weren't just going to give up their favorite climbing spot. Why should we, they thought. The sandstone bluff line rises up to 90 feet and holds a wide variety of climbing routes, making it one of the most diverse and unique crags in the state. So, the Christopher brothers started reaching out to Green Bay Packaging to work out a deal. So, kind of how that all came about, um, Kyle, the younger brother, and myself, we were both at Lyon College at the time, and then kind of Kyle through, and and Kyle helping, uh, getting help with the outdoor program leader there at Lyon College, his name was Scott Dirksen at the time. Uh, it was kind of a collaborative effort, but they ended up just getting a hold of the right people at Green Bay and kind of just telling the, 
telling the story, you know, Hey, you know, from Kyle's perspective, um, I've got two other brothers. Uh, I wasn't in the equation at all at that point in time. So, you know, from Kyle's perspective, uh, you got two other, two other brothers, the three of them, you know, were willing to make the investment. If Green Bay would be willing to section off at least the bluff line from their property, uh, and, and, you know, the, the desire was just to maintain access, um, for generations to come, you know, like we recognized the liability that was, that was on green Bay kind of operating that, that, that area. And for them, they, they had to keep the gates locked and keep it shut off. So, you know, Hey, we're local. We're kind of into this sport. We love outdoor recreation. We love the community that it brings in and think that we can, you know, manage that sustainably and, uh, and be good stewards. The nomads wanted to impress upon the company that this was not a business venture. They weren't looking to make money. They just wanted to open up the crag to other climbers and preserve the area's scenic beauty. But, you know, those guys at Green Bay kind of just heard heard the brothers out and understood that, or just believed them, really, uh, heard the vision and believed that it, it was going to be a good deal. Um, and maybe there might have been a little trepidation, but nonetheless, they sent out a guy with a backpack GPS um, and again, they had just clear cut this property. So there were fresh fire breaks and all, um, kind of bulldozed around the edge of the property. Um, and they pretty much walked the edge of those fire breaks all the way around the top side of the bluff and then down the crag, you know, in, uh, towards the Creek below, um, and, and sectioned off, uh, several acres. I'd have to go back and look. And that was like the first initial purchase, you know, they're like, Hey, we want y'all to, you know, you've got a gate, you've got the road coming back in here. Uh, you know, the gate and stuff is still ours. The land around us is still ours, but y'all, you know, for all your climbing and whatever you want at campsite area, you know, y'all can, uh, y'all can have this land for X amount of dollars. Fast forward a few years and Jamestown Crag has become a destination for climbers across the South and Midwest. The nomads were able to link up with veteran climbers of the area, like Mobley, and expose themselves to every climbable route the area has to offer. Volunteers have further developed the land to include parking, primitive campsites, and sustainable hiking trails linking the sites to the cliff line. They even have an annual climbing competition called King of the Crag. Downing says the amenities are free to use. The only funding comes from the competition, the nomads themselves, and a small bucket nailed to a tree labeled Suggested donation, three to camp, five to climb. We've only in the last couple of years had social media. Um, our local community, like even the city, chamber, county, really haven't really haven't leaned on them to publicize it or push it as like a county entity or a county asset. Um, again, it's first off, it's privately owned, and uh, but in large part, that was almost our method of sustainability and maintenance is to like let those that know know uh and let that community that is like a leave no trace community right that is like a love nature community uh let them share it with others and bring others and you know the community has just kind of grown organically um so that said you know it's always just been a labor of love from us from the nomads you know again the, the christopher brothers the three of them have been active in a mortgage um, and literally paid for the property, you know, and then everything outside of that has been, uh, you know, s- s- sweat and everything else from friends and from, from them. And uh, the little bit of money that comes in every year from King of the Crag goes right back to, to bolting equipment. Though they weren't sure where they'd land, Downing says the nomads' honesty and passion led them down the right path. 
By clearly communicating their wishes to Green Bay Packaging, the Christopher brothers were able to gain their trust and protect an area that would grow into a rendezvous for climbers across the country. For more information about Jamestown, the Nomads, and the greater Batesville area, visit jamestowncrag.com. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. Ahead on our show, the monthly Songwriters in the Round at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville is Thursday night beginning at 6.30, and we'll get a preview from one of the songwriters, Buddy Shute, and from the event's host, Lacey Hampton. Looking forward, am I in the Music from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, just ahead. This is Ozarks at Large. Let's spend a few minutes considering some numbers. 120,000 acres in the Smackover Formation in South Arkansas, owned by ExxonMobil, will be the home for lithium wells. The first well will be in Magnolia, and Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders says she hopes the wells keep lithium from being mined overseas. Lithium is critical for batteries and other energy products. And right now, the vast majority of it is produced overseas. But hopefully, that will not be the case much longer. The wells are expected to support supplies for electric cars as soon as 2027. Clint O'Neill, the executive director of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, says the partnership between ExxonMobil and the state of Arkansas will be a positive relationship. We all know that the demand for lithium is on the rise because of electric vehicles, consumer products, Uh, One other thing that's on the rise is economic development in the state of Arkansas. Economic development is a team sport. We have many folks in the room that contribute significantly to the growth of the economy in Arkansas. The mines work by pulling lithium out of saltwater underground. $648 million. Talk Business and Politics reports that's the net income loss in fiscal year 2023 reported by Tyson Foods yesterday. Tyson Foods says it expects revenue to remain flat for 2024 in the $52.8 billion range. 339 voters cast early ballots for today's special election in Fayetteville to select a new Ward 1 City Council member. Four people are seeking the seat left vacant after former council member Sonia Harvey moved out of the ward. She says she was unable to find a home in the ward her family could afford. Ward 1 covers much of South Fayetteville. Polls remain open today until 7.30. Yesterday was the busiest of the early voting days with 129 early votes at the county clerk's office. 21.1% of adult Arkansans smoke cigarettes. That's much higher than the national average of 13.5%. The numbers are included in today's annual State of Lung Cancer Report from the American Lung Association. The smoking rate is the second highest among the 50 states and the District of Columbia. The report also finds Arkansas ranks in the bottom third of states when it comes to lung cancer survival and lung cancer screening. The report does find that nationally rates of surviving lung cancer are increasing. The full report can be found at lung.org. 34 home games will be played by a yet-to-be-named baseball team in Fort Smith next year. The squad will be part of the six-team Mid-America League that will feature college baseball players not yet planning to turn professional. Long-term goal is to have a new stadium built for the team near the Arkansas River. 
nearly $5.5 million will be earmarked by the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation for restoration projects in the Ozarks. The grants come through the America the Beautiful Challenge, nearly $4 million funneled to the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to remove aquatic organism barriers that will help reconnect more than 400 miles of War Eagle Creek and restore 5,500 linear feet of stream banks. Another $1.5 million will be directed toward glade and woodland restoration in Ozark and Mark Twain National Forest. The grants announced today will support landscape-scale conservation projects across 46 states. It's four days until the eighth-ranked JBU soccer team hosts an NAIA tournament game at Alumni Field in Salem Springs. JBU will meet the winner of Thursday's first-round contest between Friends and Olivet Nazarene, also to be played at Alumni Field. Soccer fans can have fun in Northwest Arkansas this week with the first-round NAIA match in Salem Thursday night, two NCAA matches Friday in Fayetteville, including Arkansas facing Pittsburgh Friday night, the JBU match Saturday, and another NCAA tournament game in Fayetteville on Sunday. And 86 points was enough for the Arkansas Razorback men's basketball team to defeat Old Dominion last night in Fayetteville. Final score, 86-77. Razorbacks are now 3-0. Razorback women host Little Rock tonight in Bud Walton Arena. This is Ozarks at Large. The field challenging former President Donald Trump for the GOP presidential nomination continues to shrink. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott is suspending his campaign after former Vice President Mike Pence did the same late last month. Still campaigning? Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. His path to the nomination seems challenging. The latest 538 composite poll gives Hutchinson about six-tenths of one percent of support of likely GOP primary voters. Last week, he was back in Arkansas to file to be on the state's ballot for the Republican Party nomination. While in the state, he sat down with Roby Brock from our partner Talk Business and Politics for Roby's TV show, Capital View. Roby asked Governor Hutchinson why he remains in the presidential race. I tell folks that we evaluate every day as to the strength of the campaign, uh, you know, whether we have the support that's needed and I get encouragement every day. But whenever you look at uh, the polling numbers, uh, I visit with Governor John Sununu, former governor of New Hampshire, and I asked for his political wisdom. And he said, New Hampshire folks no, do not even decide, begin deciding until after Thanksgiving. And so it's still, you've got to put it in perspective. These early states, they're late deciders. And so, so you might be in point A in the polls now, but it's going to shift, it's going to move, and that's been the history of these early races. Secondly, you've got to look at the instability of the race this year. Yeah. Uh, the fact that next year is totally unpredictable. So you've got to file, you've got to be on the ballot if you're going to be in the opportunity to win. I'll give you a theory that I have been floating here, and that is I, I, obviously the race will be fluid next year, as you're alluding to. That would certainly center around the current front runner, uh, former President Donald Trump and his legal woes that are out there. That legal calculus could change with one verdict 
and throw everything into an absolute frenzy. Is there a thought, not just for you, but other candidates who are also still chasing that, the, that front runner status that you got to hang in there until all of that is, does come out and settle some? Well, that's true. That's true. Whenever you're looking at uh, next year in March, uh, whenever voters in Arkansas will cast their ballots for president, that's also the beginning of multiple trials uh, and uh, the beginning of more facts coming out. And it's a sad time for America when we have to go through this, but it puts the Republican voters in a very big bind because they don't know what's going to transpire after they vote that's going to shake up the race again. And so you got to be in there, you know, and there's, you know, one school of thought is you've got to make sure that uh, you're nice as can be so that uh, if Trump falters, you're going to be the beneficiary of those mm -hmm. Trump votes. Uh, I believe that you've got to actually be clear uh, as to the risks that we have uh, with his candidacy. And that gets me in a little bit of trouble, but somebody's got to say it. Somebody's got to say it. The only two that are saying that. Um, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember there was a time in American politics that if you're indicted, you just might not run for office at that point in time. I mean, that's a serious enough charge to discount you as a candidate. And it, it doesn't seem to be playing with his hardcore base. Well, many people, and you'll remember here in Arkansas that we've had uh, legislative leaders that have been investigated, and there was pressure to resign during the investigation. Yep. And I said no, but if they're indicted, then I would ask for their resignation. And that's, that's the pattern that's been followed. And here you've got four criminal indictments, and I have said that he ought to step aside not because uh, there's not a presumption of innocence, just because uh, let's put the common good above your personal right. uh, candidacy. What message do you think that you are communicating out there that is resonating with voters? Tell me what you think is really connecting with people. Well, and whenever I talk to voters in Iowa, New Hampshire, it's telling them what we've done in Arkansas, the consistent conservative record, lowering taxes, leaving a surplus, balancing a budget, creating 100,000 jobs, leading in computer science education. They, that resonates with them. And then I tell them my breadth of experience uh, internationally and in national security, head of the DEA, those issues. And they say, wow, we didn't know all that about you. So it's the layers, it's the depth that resonates with them. And then it's about, uh, as, as one farmer in uh, Iowa said, Asa, you're running for President of the United States and you seem normal. <laughs> so normalcy actually is a benefit uh, in the campaign. All right. The times have changed for sure. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what happened this last Tuesday night. There were some elections in some other states. There were some messages sent. I don't think that it's a predictor of what's going to happen a year from now, but it does probably shaped the races a little bit and some messaging a little bit. What was some of your takeaway from what happened in Ohio, particularly on the abortion uh, issue that was there in Virginia where uh, the you know Democrats held on to their majorities, Andy Bashirs in Kentucky, although they still down ballot, Republicans were very strong in that red state. Kentucky, you're, you're running, the Republicans running against an incumbent governor and so it's not necessarily a surprise in a close race that Andy Bashir wins. But, what, but it was a missed opportunity. And then you had the greatest disappointment was Virginia with the hope to pick up a uh, Republican uh, legislative body. Instead, we didn't win that and we lost the other one. So 
that was uh, a setback for both uh, Governor Yunkin, but also it was a wake-up call. And there's two theories about it. I mean, the national media is saying we're losing these races because of the abortion question. Right. And I think it's deeper than that. I think that uh, when I talk to people, they're frustrated uh, with the leadership of the Republican Party and the direction of it. And they've been a lifelong Republican, but they are just frustrated. And so I think it's a combination there. But that latter tells me that we've got to straighten up our own act. We've got to get our party together so we can prove that we can govern uh, and that we can lead effectively. And it starts with the presidency of the United States. What do you think should be the Republican general message on abortion? I mean, there's obviously a lot of different viewpoints within the Republican Party, but it, it has it, it was on the ballot. It has been discussed as a potential swing issue uh, for some independent voters and some moderate voters. What, what do you think the message should be on abortion? How, how should it be communicated? Should it be a national um, should there be a national ban on abortion or should it be a state's rights like the Supreme Court decided? Well, first of all, it needs to be communicated in terms of compassion and understanding of difficult pregnancies or problem pregnancies. And so that's how we need to work on the language better. Uh, secondly, it's about pro-life solutions uh, after the child is born and, and making sure that we have proper investment in maternal health care mm -hmm. and uh, prenatal care. So those are things that we ought to be talking about more. When it comes to the question itself, most importantly, be authentic. And everyone knows my conviction. I'm pro-life. I believe that life is in the womb. You ought to have reasonable protections uh, there as well as reasonable restrictions. And so uh, that when you express it that way, I think that you can move on. To answer your question, is that it will be left with the states. Yeah. Uh, as a practical matter, it will stay in the states because you're not going to be able to build a consensus in Congress. Former Arkansas governor and current presidential candidate Asa Hutchinson spoke with Roby Brock last week when Hutchinson was in the state to file to be on the 2024 Arkansas ballot. That conversation, part of Roby's television program, Capital View, that can be seen Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KARK in Little Rock in Central Arkansas and Sundays at 11.30 a.m. on KNWA in Northwest Arkansas. You can find more of Roby's interviews at talkbusiness.net. This month, the songwriters in the round at Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville will again invite four artists to share the stage with each other and their songs with an audience. Lacey Hampton, herself a songwriter and one half of the duo Common Roots, serves as the night's host. This Thursday night, her guests include her brother Jeremy Morris, the other half of Common Roots, Tracy Manos, who is also known as Ozark Daughter, Michael Cooper from 96 Miles, and Buddy Shute. Last week, Buddy and Lacey Hampton came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to give us a small preview of Thursday night's show. Before the Thursday afternoon session in our studio, Lacey and Buddy had never met. In fact, Buddy says he hasn't met any of the other songwriters he'll be on stage with Thursday night. That's kind of the beauty of this thing, getting people together that uh, share 
share the stage and yeah. share the passion yeah songwriting i know that at some singer and songwriters in the round the artists don't necessarily they may know what they're going to play first but then they kind of wait to see where the conversation takes them do you have a set playlist uh no i kind of have a idea which songs i would like to do but uh a lot, it's pretty much like you describe where maybe the first song and, and after that it's just whatever seems right probably have two or three that you're like these have to get in but then that's kind of the magic of it is just kind of going with the flow being in the moment letting other people inspire you and filling in as as you can and Lacey, you serve as the host but the first one you were also one Mm -hmm. of the performers right correct what do you like better um it's all it's all really fun um I, this one has been a really nice way for me to kind of give back to the community because I I just feel like Northwest Arkansas has really been great to me and my musical endeavors. And so this is a way to, one, build community and two, just kind of give back. But it was a, a, a space that I felt like needed to be filled in um, br- building that community and bringing people so do you know you don't have to tell us if you don't want to buddy but do you know the first song you'll play yes i do (laughs) (laughs) is that the one you'll play for us today oh uh no i have i have a special song i was gonna do for today okay okay i can't wait to hear that and lisa you brought a guitar too i did the rule is if you come into the anthony and susan hoy news studio with a guitar (laughs) you have to play it so um what do you want to play for us buddy uh, well, it's uh, being on the radio. I thought the special song should be on uh, title. It's titled "On the Radio." Everybody was dancing, having a good time. The band played that second line. You stepped up and said you knew me when. I said, hey, I'd like to get to know you again. I just wrote this song to say hello. Thought I'd let it find you. Some roadside bar That night there was a full harvest moon And the folks inside were playing tunes and one held his guitar out for me A dream come true, I do believe I just wrote this song to say hello Thought I'd let it find you The only way I know 
why it'll be late one night you'll reach over and shut off the light you'll turn on the radio and search that dial you'll hear a voice and start to smile for there's something there you recognize how what we had never dies just wrote this song to say hello Thought I'd let it find you the only way I know On that radio On the radio For you and you hear it on the radio You will know I wrote this for you When you hear it on the radio You will know I wrote this for you When you hear it on the radio You will know I wrote this for you I love Buddy Shoot so much. I really, really do. You're so wonderful, Buddy. Ah. Um, you lived in New Orleans. I did. I did. And so when that you know that song starts talking about Dixie Beer, that was yeah, yeah, that was uh, that's uh, historically correct. You lived in the French Quarter uh, for the first couple of years there. I did, and then I moved uptown, and I was around for a while. So, I mean, grew up in Memphis, lived in New Orleans. You almost, by law, have to be a musician. Yeah, Those yeah, are two yeah, great music yeah, cities. required. <laughs> and you'll be one of the four singer-songwriters in the Songwriters in the Ram. That's Thursday night, Meteor Guitar Gallery. Uh, Lacey, you, what are, we, what are you going to do for us? Yeah, move whatever you need to move there. This song, um, I ch- I've been challenging myself to try to write a song uh, once a month. At least one song a month, and this is the one I wrote in January, and it's probably my, my favorite song that I've written all year. So, started with a bang and went downhill from here. But this, uh, it's called Another Mountain. It's just about sometimes life is more about the anticipation than trying to always find those mountaintop experiences. Not always like being in the moment more than chasing the next peak experience. Next gig, the next big sensation 
Life's best laid hopes and plans Looking forward am I in the Fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I have the best job in the world. I really do. <laughs> uh, you'll both be on stage. You'll be the host, Lacey. Buddy, you'll be playing. Um, thank you both so much for coming in. Where can we find out more about you, Buddy? Uh, online? I, I have a website, Buddy Shoot, S-H-U-T-E, BuddyShoot.com. Lacey, where can we find out more about the songwriters in the round? Um, mostly that's been posted on my Lacey Hampton Music Facebook page. Um, and then Meteor Guitar Gallery keeps it on their, on their stuff as well. And you're about to go back into the studio. Isn't that right, buddy? I am. I'm in and out constantly. <laughs> <laughs> when, and what I love is I always know when there's a new Buddy Shoot record because it shows up in my mailbox here at work. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're in the process of finishing it up right now. It should be ready in approximately the first of the year, Ooh, the perfect. first of the year. Send right. your album in. I'll have to do that too. <laughs> I'm learning things from you already. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Thank you. Buddy Shute will perform his songs Thursday night at the November edition of the Songwriters in the Round at Meteor Guitar Gallery in downtown Bentonville. Song scheduled to begin at 6.30 Thursday night. Lacey Hampton serves as the MC and host for the event. And take note, there are already sessions scheduled for December 21st, January 18th, and February 15th, also at the Meteor Guitar Gallery. If you can't remember those specific dates, just remember the songwriters in the round take place on the third Thursday of each month. This is Ozarks at Large. Mornings can be so routine. With Morning Edition from NPR News, you can build a little bit of the unexpected into your morning with stories of progress. The latest craze in Silicon Valley, silver orbs that scan your eyeballs. With stories of what it means to be human and animal. Why did you buy the cat? Because I was lonely. And something sweet. The flavoring is rose water and orange blossom water. Listen every weekday. Morning edition, tomorrow from 5 until 9. 
Dr. Dennis Riddle, the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College, is a huge proponent of education. Of course, he's the president of a college, but he also has multiple degrees, including his Ph.D. and a postdoc MBA. The first of his family to attend college, his first degree was a two-year diploma from the Community College of the Air Force. Give him a few minutes and he'll happily discuss the value of education. And that's exactly what happens on the latest episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. On the latest podcast episode, host Randy Wilburn talks with Dennis Riddle about NWAC. And Dr. Riddle told Randy he thinks NWAC's mission is to create opportunities to make people better and to put them in better positions to be successful. Whether it's in their careers, whether it's in their personal life, whether it's in their family life. Because sometimes folks take classes for personal enrichment. Yeah. Other times. Just to learn. That's right. They don't know much about this area and they just want to learn more about it. There is nothing wrong with that. So if you want to take some classes that are going to work with your hands and whether it's whether it's pottery or whether it's sculpting of some sort or whether it's woodworking, we can do all of those things. Right. Whether it's learning about how to how to handle programming and computer, we can help with all those spaces. All those areas are available. And our whole job is, again, to be a reflection of what the community needs and make that, we often describe it as, we want to provide a quality education at a better price. Yeah. Recognizing that we know that cost is a challenge and we don't want it to be a <clears throat> barrier for people to be able to better themselves. We just don't want that. And I'm glad you brought up cost because that is, you know, I look at, I look back and it's I actually, I was thankful. You know, we, we hear all this talk about how uh, school debt is about mm-hmm. to come back online for mm-hmm. those people that had a break during the pandemic and mm-hmm. the amount of money that's owed. And oh, yes. I was very fortunate. I got a scholarship to college, but I remember looking at my bill when I, like the whole bill, and I think my whole bill at Howard University when I graduated in 1991, and because yes. they gave me a printout in the bursar's office, was like fifty one thousand dollars. Yes, for four years of school. Right, and that was 91. And that was 91. <laughs> and now that's what it is per year. Yes, at a lot of universities, yes, lot of you know, universities. especially if you're out of state or you know mm-hmm. something along those lines. And so what I have said to people is that you know a lot of times people allow the money factor to become a barrier Mm -hmm. to their education. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for you just quickly to speak on that. And then Mm -hmm. I want to jump into some of the initiatives that NWAC is specifically focusing on right now in this season. But I would love for you to talk about how people should not allow money to be a barrier for them getting a higher education. Sure. That's a great question, Randy. Um, I'll speak to it from a two-year perspective. And then as a person who's obviously gone on and done more as well as my my own family members, at the two-year school, when you look at all the stair steps, we'll just take NWAC, for example. Student wants to come to NWAC. If a student qualifies for Pell, which means, and that's going to be based upon their family earnings, mm-hmm. if they qualify for Pell, those Pell dollars will more than cover their cost of education at the college. It'll take care of it. So they will not have, they will not be, it will take care of their cost of tuition and fees. It'll take care of their cost oftentimes of their books. And if, depends on um, if they're a local resident of a certain school district or if they've also got maybe an additional scholarship, uh, they'll have money left over for gasoline, for rent. It really is, it really runs that level of affordability. We, yeah. we take a lot of pride in that. Yeah. And then what we oftentimes say is debt, what debt does is debt limits choice. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is if the student wants to matriculate then onto the university and whatever university that might be, and to be transparent, the vast majority of our students do matriculate over to the University of Arkansas, very standard. Shout and that's because of our, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and and we like to see them go from Eagles today, Razorbacks tomorrow, right. you know, and, and how they make that transition. And so as we see the students move on, 
they can then enter the university with either low, little, or many times just no debt, yeah. just no debt. Yeah. And then that way, they're not being driven by, or they're not in a, a spot where the debt then is oftentimes discuss it as if the debt is driving the engine, then the tail is wagging the dog. Yeah, and right. that really is a, a challenge. And, you know, when parents are looking at it or those maybe who are helping to, especially for the younger students who might, they might have others that are helping to, to fund the cost of their education. That's a real thing. It's a reality. So our role is to try to help minimize any debt whatsoever. And oftentimes there is no debt and then allow the student then to make those choices based on the merit of, you know, going where they want to go. And, and be able to pursue the kind of career they want to pursue absent of that debt being the driver. And then the other element of it is, and this is where I get very real with people who want to go right to the workforce is if people finish the college at, at the tier school and they either get a certificate or a tier degree that might be to, a, to go right into the in industrial work, maybe as a, a, computer, a, a computer programmer mm -hmm. or a graphics analyst or something like that, and they're going to get into that space. If they're debt free, they can take the job that they really want to exactly. take and yeah. not feel like they're forced to take a job because of the dollars it pays and maybe not really be the best fit for them. Yeah. Because that's a really important piece because oftentimes that first job or handful of jobs that a person takes creates a bit of a vector in their life. Mm. Now, it's not fatalism. That's not what I'm communicating. But if you're 20 years old and you're, it's your, I call your first career ladder step after college and you're going to that job and it's really a nightmare situation, it can linger for a while. <laughs> it, can, it can linger it can. because, you know, you can get just in a tough spot yeah. where if you get in a really good space, wow, I mean, you can just find yourself zooming along. And we often say is I get to go to work, not I got to go to work. Right. And there's a difference in that language. So that's how we view our role. When you think about debt, that's how I view debt. Debt affects where they can go for university. Debt affects where they can go to work. And our job is to try to keep that debt minimal, if at all, just absent. And just so so that people are listening to this, you need to be aware that, and I love you, you using, uh, Dr. Riddle, you used the analogy of a step, right? Mm -hmm. So like NWAC could be that first step yes. to you getting that four-year degree. So Absolutely. you get that two-year degree, and then maybe you go out in the workforce and work for sure. a couple of years. And Heaven forbid you get a job with a company that offers some type of uh, education reimbursement. Absolutely. And you can finish up your schooling and get those additional two years and, and matriculate through a four-year right. program and get a degree debt-free. That's right. And then, you know, oh my gosh, what if you want to go get a master's or right. something like that? So That's right. those are the steps that That's are right. real. And I remember my mom getting her master's at night mm -hmm. at City College of New York, and mm -hmm. she got two of them. Mm -hmm. Because she was an underachiever, but, but <laughs> I remember her running over there at night to do that. And she worked a full-time job, That's right. raising a son and got that degree at night, those, those additional degrees at night, those masters. And a lot of times you say to yourself, oh, that would never be me, but it could very well be you. Absolutely. And, and somebody Absolutely. listening to this that's just getting started out and you could start at NWAC, that could be the beginning of that's a right. beautiful journey of education that really right. takes you to uh, another place that you you maybe didn't envision originally. And then I want to say this too, and you could probably speak to this, Dr. Riddle. There are a lot of people that struggle in high school mm -hmm. and then they feel like, well, I'm just not a good student. Right. And it's like, I don't want to waste my time or my right. money going off to NWAC or any place else because mm -hmm. I'm just going to waste my money. I'm gonna get, not going to get good grades. I'd love for you to kind of speak mm -hmm. to that because I, I know that people typically when you become 18 or older, you know, you, your gears start to switch differently than when you were in high school or junior high. And so could you maybe speak just to that aspect of it? Because 
just because you were a certain way in your educational right. e- pursuits when you were younger doesn't mean you're going to always be that way. That's exactly right. And we see that a lot, Randy. We see that students who may have, because of the way that, uh, well, to say K-12 was designed, yeah. it, it's it's a lot more, I'll just use the term structure. It's a lot more, yeah, yeah performative. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and where when you get to the college level, it really there, you're creating a lot of times your own paths and you can be far more creative in even the work that you perform and that you do and how you gauge with it. And then your course selection, you're really much treated as an adult. You're an agent. You look out and you make decisions and then you can excel as you you so choose to. And so it's not quite as prescriptive then. It becomes much more elective in a sense. Now, there'll be some classes that you definitely need, but then you're pursuing also a space in an area that you want to go. And we oftentimes use this also at the tier school is if you want to experiment, like if you're not really sure, take some classes. They're far more affordable than if you, if you take a, let's say, and then no disrespect to universities, I assure you that, no disrespect at all, but they're far more affordable oftentimes than the university level. And as a result, what can happen then is the student can experiment and then figure out and say, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't go and spend X amount of years doing this because I really didn't enjoy it. Right. Boy, well, during the journey, I figured this out and now I'm going in a whole different vector but I'm happy and I'm excited. I didn't even know anything about this because oftentimes the students will go after careers that they've been exposed to already. So what either a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, friends, it's just the stuff that they're familiar with. But those careers that they're not, they're just, they've not been exposed to before. Sure. They don't oftentimes get exposed to those or the types of skills that are required in those areas until they start experimenting at the college level. And they start going, wow, I didn't even know I was good at this or that I was even interested in this type of thinking or this type of knowledge or skills. Dr. Dennis Riddle is the president of Northwest Arkansas Community College. And the entire conversation with Randy Wilburn can be heard in the latest episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. You can find that podcast episode and others at IamNorthwestArkansas.com, at KUAF.com, or by subscribing to the podcast through your favorite platform. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, facility animals, emotional support animals, and therapy animals. We learn the difference and the impact of some very good pups. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. We have a few suggested additions to your calendar for the next couple of days. Brandon Weston, a writer and folklorist, will present Ozark Healing Traditions, a hidden art, tomorrow night at 630 at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale. The talk is part of Shiloh's Not Strictly History series. It's free, and it can be in-person or virtual. The in-person attendance will be limited to 100 people. Registration is required. You can take care of that at shilohmuseum.org. Bentonville residents, you'll be able to shred stuff. Well, actually, have it shredded for you. Tomorrow from 10 until 2 at City Hall, you do have to have a reserved time slot to have your materials shredded. You can reserve that time by looking for City Hall Shred It Day at Sign Up Genius. Tomorrow, by the way, also America Recycles Day. And Thursday night, the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History in Fayetteville will host its next Prior Center Presents Lecture with Sharice Jones-Branch. Her talk is titled, Better Living by Their Own Bootstraps, Black Women's Activism in Rural Arkansas, 1914 to 1965. She'll begin her presentation Thursday night at 6 at the Prior Center. By the way, her next book project is titled, To Make the Farm Bureau Stronger and Better for All the People. 
African Americans in the American Farm Bureau Federation, 1920 to 1966. That will be published by the University of Arkansas Press Rural Black Study Series, of which she is co-editor. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. And KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jack Travis, Randy Wilburn, and Roby Brock. Additional reporting today provided by the news team at Little Rock Public Radio. Matthew produced the program inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio, too. Thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow, Matthew, I'll be heading across the street to co-host with Jacqueline House the um, Northwest Arkansas edition of National Philanthropy Day. It's going to be uh, a good cause. It's going to be... Uh, it's about a billion good cause. Well, not a billion. <laughs> I've told you a million times not to exaggerate, but yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be a great uh, great opportunity to remind folks of all of the wonderful things that are happening across our region here. That's right, and uh, I thank uh, the folks for asking me to do that again. Uh, we will have a daily show for you again tomorrow, noon and seven on ninety one point three KUAF every weeknight at seven on Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us today. The Walmart Amp presents Hozier on the Unreal Unearth Tour 2024 with Allison Russell, April 26th. Tickets go on sale November 17th at amptickets.com. Support for KUAF comes from the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas. Their MPS degree is an action-oriented program focused on preparing students for the tough work of on-the-ground change. For the fall 2024 enrollment cycle, the school is expanding its range of merit-based scholarships and cost-of-living stipends to enrolling students. More at clintonschool.uasys.edu.